All right, today we are going to conclude our message series called The End. And in this message series, we've been looking at what the Bible says about the last days, um, how we will know we're living in the last days, what, are it, what will it look like. And specifically, um, you know, I've, I've preached on the end days many times throughout my life, but specifically this series, we've been focusing very much in on the book of Revelation itself. And uh, there's, the Bible talks a lot about the end in many books of the Bible, but this time we've really leaned into the book of Revelation where we... Uh, kind of gave you an overview or revelation for dummies, if you will, and that's what I called it for myself, um, where it was like just the hot topics and then the seven main events of the book of Revelation. Uh, last week, we looked at not just the Antichrist, but the spirit of the Antichrist, because we understand that though the Antichrist will be a man who rises to power, hopefully we will never see that man, but uh, there's already a spirit uh, at work. And even Paul said, I, I see that even now at work in the earth. So today we're going to do a little bit different. We're going to follow the story of a couple who have been left behind. Um, I, again, I told you that there are three thoughts on the rapture. One is pre-tribulation, which means we get out of here before any of the junk happens. One is mid, which means we stay for three and a half years once that time starts. And then post, which is where we endure it all and then we go. I am a pre-tribulation preacher. I believe that God's wrath is not meant for his church. I believe that because the church is mentioned so many times in the book of Revelation, as soon as the tribulation begins to be talked about in the book of Revelation, the church is never mentioned again. So I believe that the church will be gone by the time that happens. However, we do understand that there will be many who have been lukewarm or maybe heard the gospel and walked away who will immediately recognize that, oh no, the rapture has happened and will either receive Christ or at that moment or give their hearts back to Christ and unfortunately will have to endure those seven years. So we're going to look at a little bit of that today and follow this couple um, but I want to start with Revelation chapter 20, verse 4, and it says, For I saw uh, them, and they, they said, and judgment was committed to them. And while I saw the souls of them who had been beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, I want you to pay attention to that, that it says, for their witness and for the word of God, because a lot of people would say that they love Jesus, but they refuse to stand for his word. But I want you to know those two things are interconnected. You can't love Jesus and not love his word. You can't be a follower of God and say, I, I follow Jesus, but I have no need for the word because your Bible says that in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. So we understand his word is God. So you can't claim to love God or follow Jesus and not be absolutely in love with his word. And we beheld his glory as the only begotten of the father. So he is the word that became flesh. Uh, who had not worshipped the beast or his image or received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. So that's what we're going to be looking at is what would life look like after the church is raptured. So we can go ahead with our first video this morning.
exact date of today. I think it's been maybe five years since that day. What we saw today was more of the same. Destruction. Abandoned buildings. What the world used to be has been forgotten. There are a lot of words for it. The word I use is hopeless. It happened in an instant. It wasn't like this took place after a season or a slow build. Life was business as usual. Then, in a single day in history, everything changed. Everything. Everybody lost someone. I think that's what showed our true nature. Loss. Heartache. It was only a matter of time before everything fell apart. It was only a matter of time before the worst of humanity showed its face. Atrocities like I had never seen before. So we did what people who have no control over what is happening always do. We tried to control it. Then there were those who promised peace and safety. And for a time, that's what we got. But what seemed to be the solution ended up being a band-aid, masking the infection that was destroying everything underneath. If someone had told me that this is what the world would be like before that day, I wouldn't have believed them. Every day I hope to wake up from this nightmare. I'm holding on to anything from before that day, when there was hope. But hope is gone now. First Thessalonians 4.16 says, It says, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command and with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. And after this, all who are still alive will be caught up together. Everybody say caught up together. That word is a Latin word and it means rapturo. And it's taken, means literally to be taken from one place to another place. And it's really a simple concept. It means that you are immediately not here, but there. <laughs> it's like you step from one room into another room. And the Bible says that we'll go from this earth and we'll be called up together in the clouds to meet the Lord. And so we will forever be with the Lord. Verse 18, he goes on to say, therefore, encourage one another with these words. You know, the purpose of talking about end times and talking about the rapture and talking about the return of Christ, the reason that we do this, Paul says, is to really encourage one another, to give you hope. You know, there was an article that had some people who had walked away from the church and they said they had suffered PTSD because of the Left Behind series and the message of the rapture. And for some people, on the surface, it can cause fear and anxiety and, oh no, what will that look like and what will the world be? But Paul says, listen to the church, encourage one another. Because if you have your foundation fixed and, and, and a solid place on Jesus, you know that it's only good for us, right? So it, he says, encourage one another. Uh, this rapture encourage that one day we will be not here, but there. Actually, in Bible times, if you lived in a village or a town, it was usually a fortified town, which means that it was enclosed with walls. And oftentimes on the top of these walls would be watchmen. And the purpose of the watchmen was to guard this city, to look for oncoming danger or threats. 
Uh, they would also watch to see if hunters were returning from a hunt and they could open the gates quickly for them. But every now and again, the watchmen would look and catch a glimpse of Caesar or the king who was coming into the village. And the watchmen would stand on the wall and they would shout into the entire village or town that Caesar is coming, Caesar is coming. When that would happen, immediately everyone would stop their work, they would grab their children, whatever activities they were doing would immediately cease. They would all rush to the gate of the city where Caesar and his entourage would enter. They'd be there at the entrance of the gate as Caesar would make his way in, and they would begin to celebrate and shout, Caesar has arrived and he's coming and he's here. It was a great celebration, but they would listen for the watchmen on the wall who would, would, would see the signs of his coming coming and begin to warn the people so that they could be ready and stand and celebrate. So when Paul begins to use this word in referring to the return of Christ, this rapturo, everyone immediately knew what he was talking about. He was saying that we're supposed to be looking for this. It's something that we are to anticipate. We are the watchmen on the wall. We're looking out at the signs of our times and the era that we live in. And it says to, the Bible tells us to look at the season, to watch for the times. And the reason that the Bible calls us to live this way is so that we don't cling to the temporal things. That we don't cling to the ways of this world. But that we keep our eyes fixed on our real home. We keep our eyes ready. We keep our feet light. We anticipate. Actually, one out of every 30 verses in your Bible deal with the soon return of Christ. When it comes to the end times, there are 216 chapters in the New Testament alone that deal with this. There are 300 references in the New Testament concerning the return of Christ. 23 out of 27 New Testament books deal with this subject. So I say that today to let you know that this isn't a fringe subject in our gospel. Actually, Jesus talked about this so much that his disciples were constantly asking him, when is this going to happen? Like it was the, one of the main themes of Jesus's ministry. So the disciples were like, please tell us when this is going to happen. Paul the Apostle was laying on his deathbed at the end of his life and the scripture says he would begin to utter words and, and say that I finished the race that God has set before me. I fought the, the good fight of faith and as a result, I have received a crown of righteousness that was stored up for me. And he goes on to say that he longed for the appearing of the Lord. And he encourages the church to continue to fight the good fight and to finish the course and receive the crown of righteousness that awaits. Church, we are to long for his appearing. We are to expect it, anticipate it. Let's continue following this story. Looking around today, I don't think I'll ever get used to how different things are now. We are someplace outside Chicago and still haven't seen any other survivors since Indianapolis. It's getting more and more rare to see the unmarked. Sarah is having trouble making the journey. 
She's so tired. The last we heard, there was a hospital in the area. Maybe there will be some supplies or medicine. The whole world has gone to hell. Like someone snapped their finger and chaos took control. I'm struggling to find purpose, to find a reason to keep going, but I know Sarah needs me. It's been six years since I've seen you, and every day is as hard as the last. I'm holding on to a hope that we'll be together again someday, that I can hold you again, even if it's just once. I'll never forget that day. Memories are so strange. They're good and they're bad. They're good because they're all I have of you. But they're bad because I miss you. That day started off like any other day. What I would give to hear your voice, to see your smile and hear you laugh again. My favorite thing was making you laugh. I would literally do anything to make you laugh. After lunch, we wanted to make paper airplanes. We watched so many YouTube videos. We got the best paper and probably made hundreds of paper airplanes. And then came the fun part, when we would test them. You ran outside. I chased you. But when I walked out, you weren't there. You were gone vanished. All I saw was a paper airplane. Immediately, I felt a pit in my stomach. I knew something was wrong. We searched everywhere. We checked the house, every room, every inch, every hiding place. Anywhere we could think, I started to feel and hear my own heartbeat in my ears, like I was walking through a dream, a nightmare. We ran up and down the streets, looking for anything, any sign of where you might have gone. My head was spinning. Mommy kept looking at me for reassurance, asking me for answers. I didn't have any. It felt like my heart was jumping out of my chest, a lump in my throat, as I kept shouting for you. But all of the shouting in the world was only answered with the sound of distant chaos. The world felt like glass. The sounds of car crashes in the distance. People were screaming names of loved ones. Hopelessness filled the air on that day. The only sound was the sound of despair. Everyone lost someone, but saying that doesn't make it easier. I relived that day over and over again, and time hasn't helped. It hasn't taken away the feeling of my heart being ripped out of my chest every time I think about you. The hardest part is remembering the good times. You are my heart and my soul, and in an instant, without warning, on that day, you were taken from me. This feeling is death, because a part of me died that day. I want to see you again. I want to hear you laugh again. I want to hold your hand. There's a lot of people that were left behind on that day. I wish we could switch this life with the life we lost. I wish we could bring back the people we love. I wish we could make a deal with God.
comes to this topic, there's a lot of questions, obviously, that people have. But the scripture says that these days, when it refers to the end times, it says these days, and that's a word that means that is something that is near or something that is close. As you would say, if something is a far off, it would, you know, you would say it's a distance or it's over there, but it uses the word constantly in scripture that we are in the last days or these days. And what does that really mean to be in the last days? Well, in its simplest form, it's really the destiny of all of God's creation because it really is the restoration of all things. It's taking us back to being restored of how we were in our original condition in the garden before Adam and Eve sinned and before they fell. It is a moment, it's a day or it's an hour when everything that has been in the past and everything that's in the future will collide in a moment that is referred to in scripture as these last days. Another way I can illustrate that, it's almost like climbing up a mountain and starting at the bottom and, you know, you begin to climb your way up and the further you go, the more you can see, but one generation never quite reaches the top. So they take their baton and they hand it to the next generation and that generation begins to climb to the top of that mountain and with every generation they get closer and with every generation their view is expanded of what God is wanting to do. 
But eventually, we will get to the place where we hit that summit, where we're no longer limited in our sight, but we have a 360-degree radius of what God is doing. That's what happens when we experience these last days. It's that moment where everything that has been and everything that will be will collide in one moment, and we have a full view, a full expanse of all that God has planned in times past and in times future. Romans 8.19 tells us that the world as we know it is waiting for us to get a revelation on this subject. It says, whatever we may go through now is less than nothing compared with the future of the magnificent future God has planned for us. Do you see that he's saying where you are now doesn't compare with a future and the struggle for a believer is to get that perspective that where I am now is not the end and it's not all that God's doing. It gives this essence that all of creation is on its tiptoes to be eagerly anticipating to be returned to the way we were back in the garden. Actually, ancient rabbis used to say that when the return of the Lord occurs on that day, that the dirt itself will cry out, curse, get off me. I love that because when the sin came in and the curse came to mankind, a part of the curse is God said the ground will be cursed. The ground will be cursed. It'll make you work for it to produce. And when the day of the Lord comes, I love that the rabbis would say, even dirt itself will cry, curse, get off me. And that's all, that you get that anticipation that all of humanity, all of God's creation, there's that eagerness and anticipation for the curse to be removed off of us. We work and we strive and we beat our brow and we sweat and there's pain in childbearing and there's a man has to work if they want to eat and it's all a part of the curse and there's sickness and there's death. But we're all yearning for that day when we say, curse, get off me. When Jesus comes back, all of creation, including the dirt, will cry, curse, get off me. Second Peter chapter 3 says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. But instead, he is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. You know, every generation, including the disciples, believed that Jesus was going to return in their day. And my great-great-grandparents, you know, who were believers would say, Jesus is coming back in my day. And my grandparents, and then my parents, now here I am 40, 50, 60 years later, and it still hasn't happened in my lifetime. And the temptation for the church is to think that God is slow concerning his promise. In the scripture I just read, it says he's not slow in his promise, but he's giving grace so that all could come, that all could come. So we must stand in our generation. Could it happen today? Yeah. Could it happen a hundred years from now? Yeah. But every generation has stood on the earth and they have groaned and anticipated his coming. And it's our job to be the watchman on the wall and in our generation stand again on the earth and groan and anticipate his coming. 
The Bible says in Matthew that it's going to happen like a thief in the night when we least expect it and we will suddenly be taken. And there will be people not ready. So are we living in the last days? Absolutely. Does that mean that Jesus is coming back in our lifetime? I can't give you a definite on that. But whether it's these last days, meaning Jesus is coming, I also want you to picture it in a different way in your mind, that it might be your last days. I know you don't want to hear that in church this morning, but your Bible says that tomorrow is promised to no man and we are here and then we're gone like a vapor. So whether we are in the last days where we see Jesus come or we are in the last days where we will go meet Jesus, nevertheless, we are living in the last days. We need to get ready for that moment. Let's continue to follow the story of Elijah and Sarah. Food is scarce. We don't really know when or what our next meal will be. It's hard to believe that the safest shelter we've found in months is an abandoned hospital. It's strange to think there was a time that we once threw away things that people literally kill each other over now. That's what has been revealed in this new reality. How ungrateful we were for the life we had. It's hard to be grateful in a time like this especially when I know I could get the supplies we need in an instant. I could get the medicine and the food that we need to survive. We could be safe. We could be warm. No more running. No more scavenging. All it will take is a mark. One on the head, one on the hand. I remember when we would meet other survivors and talk about what was happening in the world. At first it was easy to be righteous. It was easy to see things like, I'd never let them put a mark on my body to buy groceries, to buy gas. But over time it got harder. We started to hear the same friends who would never get a mark had surrendered to it. They were living in a warm home. They weren't running. They weren't looking for food. At times I struggled. I could fix all of our problems with a simple mark. Take the mark, get food. Take the mark, have medicine. Take the mark, survive.
Peter 4, 7, Peter gives us a warning. He says, in the end of all things is now for. So be alert and be of a sober mind or a clear mind so that you may above all else, above everything else, what are we supposed to do? He says, love each other deeply. At the end of all things, these three warnings that I want to clarify. He starts off by saying, be clear-minded, to be sober-minded. I know we, in our culture, would relate that to alcohol and don't be drunk, but be sober, and there's probably some truth to that. But to be sober means to be present in a moment, to be clear, to have your thinking right, to be focused. You're sober, you're present, you're in the day. And I think what Peter's really saying to us, he's saying, be present in the day where you are planted. For the day that you live has purpose. It's pregnant with destiny. He says, you won't be clear-minded if you are fixated on past days and you're over obsessed with the past or you uh, always romance what your future would look like because we don't always know what the future will look like. So he says, just be present in the moment where you stand. Actually, the Bible says that we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses that are cheering us on in our race. And you know what they're saying? There are heroes of faith that we have talked about of Moses and Elijah and Daniel and all these great men like David. But they're looking at us and they're saying to themselves, I wish we could have a chance to be in those days that we are in now. Days where the Spirit of God is poured out. They... Old Testament didn't have the Holy Spirit. And then we have, you know, the, the, the years that Jesus was on earth and the disciples, they had Jesus in bodily form. But Jesus said, it's better that I go away so that you could have the Holy Spirit. And those great cloud of witnesses look at us and they say, man, they're living in the last days when God's getting ready to come back. And he was faithful to his word and he gave them the same Holy Spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead, embodies them right now. There's no limit to the power that they can receive. Could you imagine, Dan? Could you imagine, Elijah, could you imagine, David, what we could do if we were in those days that they are in? Never take it for granted that you are planted where you are. Understand that regardless of circumstance, your day is pregnant with purpose. God has a plan. And we have to learn to seize the day and seize the moment. He gives us another warning. He says that we should do our best to love one another. Love one another. And he goes on in that scripture to teach us how we love one another. He says, a love will cover a multitude of sin. He says, warning, in the last days, there will be a multitude of sin. But he says, love doesn't expose sin. But love also does not defend sin. Love finds a way to say that it's sin while covering that sin. If the Bible calls it sin then it's not love to call it something else. It's also not love to walk around and nitpick everybody else's problems and stand in judgment of everybody else's sin. But it's also not of God to ignore that thing which could cause a person to be destroyed eternally. 
But love lets a person know that they are not defined by a mistake. They're not defined by sin. They're not defined by a past situation. Greatest example of that is when Simon Peter was given a warning by Jesus and he says, well, first of all, you've received a revelation that I am the Christ and on that revelation, you will build the future church. But he says, but understand that you will deny me before the sun comes up. As Jesus was arrested and all the events that happened around his trial, Jesus' prophecy was fulfilled and Peter denies Jesus three times. But then we flash forward where Jesus has gone from among them and Peter goes back to do what he was doing before he ever found Jesus. And he's back on a boat and he's fishing. And he's out on the water and he looks and he realizes that Jesus is coming to them. Peter runs to Jesus and Jesus asks him this question. He says, do you love me? And three times Peter says, yes, I love you. And Jesus says, well, then feed my sheep. Jesus was showing the apostle Simon Peter that a moment of denial should never define the rest of a person's life. But forgiveness is always available and there's always mercy. Scripture also teaches us one last thing is that we should take whatever gift that we have been given and use it to serve one another that we should use our gifts to make a difference in the world because the world is in end times right now. Did you know that there are over 7 billion people alive on the planet? And there have been more people come to Christ in the last five years than any other moment in history. For example, Islam, which began in 708 AD, and in its first 1,300 years of existence, there was zero movement from anyone converting from Islam to Christ in 1,300 years. But every single year for the last 20 years, in all nine branches of Islam, over a million Muslims have given their lives to Christ. Every year for the last 20 years, over a million Muslims have given their lives to Christ. In China, every single day, uh, 35,000 people give their lives to Christ under that communist re regime, where they are arrested, where they're killed, where uh, actually they, many times for being martyred, they're taken to the hospital and kill them, but they harvest their organs and sell the organs of people being martyred by Christ. But every day, 35,000 people are giving their lives to Christ and worshiping in underground churches. Out of the 1.3 billion people in China, 10% worship every single day in the underground church. I say that to say to us is, God is fulfilling Bible prophecy. He said in the last days, I will pour out my spirit upon all the earth. That in the last day, there would be a great falling away, but then there would be a great, this, the greatest revival that the world has ever seen. And if we're not careful, we can look at the status of America and we can see people leaving the church in droves and we could say, feel discouraged. But if we look globally at what God is doing, revival is happening all around the world because Jesus is getting ready to return. So what are we doing with our gifts and our talents and our abilities in this moment when God is working in the earth? 
where every day people are martyred and persecuted for the cause of Christ around the world? Do we still live selfishly? Or do we find the mission and the purpose of Christ? Team, you can come. fix all of our problems with a simple mark but Sarah wouldn't let me I didn't understand why she wanted to continue living this way and then she got sick at first it just slowed her down we thought she had a cold then it slowed her down a little more maybe all she needed was some time and rest until finally she couldn't travel at all and the reality set in this wasn't going away we didn't have the answers and there was only one way to get them. We would search any and every place we thought we might find medicine or supplies. Sometimes we would get lucky and find something to manage the pain. But all of it was just a band-aid. We were the unmarked. And we were running out of time. Take the mark. Get food. Take the mark. Have medicine. Take the mark. Survive. But she wouldn't have it. And even though it hurts, I made a promise.
This world isn't home. Come, Jesus, come. Come, Jesus, come. There be no war. And there be no chains. When Jesus comes. Today be that day. He'll come for the weak and the strong just the same, and all will believe in the power of his Jesus, come. We've been waiting so long for the day you return to heal every hurt and right every wrong. We need you right now. Come and turn this around. Jesus, come, come, Jesus, come. And one day he'll come, and we'll stand face to face. Come and lay it all down. it might be today the time is right now there's no need to wait your past will be washed by rivers of grace come Jesus come
no solid rock to build my life. I'm not sure who I'm writing this to. Maybe it's just for me. But it's been nearly seven years since that day. Seven years in a lost and hopeless world. But even in times that seem hopeless, hope can be found. Had I known what I know now, maybe I would have been able to save my wife and myself from what this world has become. Had I known what I know now, I would be with Emily. We would all be together. I may be a little late to this realization. I wish I could go back and change some things. I wish I would have taken certain things more seriously. But one thing's for certain, this time I'll be ready. I won't miss him when he comes again. I'll be waiting. I'll be ready. I've been broken. I've been beaten. I've seen the unforgettable and the unimaginable. But I won't let it shake me. I won't give up. And even if the road ahead is perilous, I'll put my trust in you. If there's darkness on the horizon, I'll put my trust in you. I will no longer be held up by my own strength this time. I've put my faith in Jesus. In this hopeless world, I have found a solid rock. I have found a firm foundation.
righteousness alone Faultless stand before invite you right now if you have never made Jesus Christ the cornerstone of your life or maybe you did at some point and you just kind of walked away we don't want you to leave this moment without making a decision this service was in the series was not about to make anyone fearful but it's about, it's about truth, amen? And you read your Bible, you know it's true. And you know that we, it doesn't take but a moment in watching the evening news to know that we are definitely, I'd even say last moments, be that bold, amen? So this morning, I want all of us to repeat this together. But if you've never prayed this prayer, or you want to just say, you know what? In this moment, I want to rededicate my life. Let's say this together. Father God, I repent. I am a sinner in need of a Savior. And I believe that Jesus, the Son of God, came to earth as a man. He took my sin and it was nailed to a cross. And I believe that on the third day, he rose again and he defeated death, he defeated hell, and he defeated the grave. And this morning I confess 
with my mouth that I make Jesus Christ the Lord of my life, the cornerstone of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, if you prayed that prayer, come on, let's give a hand clap. All of heaven right now is rejoicing for the one, the one this morning that made that decision to turn their life over to Jesus. Come on. Hallelujah. We just thank you, Father God, for this opportunity just to, to, to preach the gospel, to bring them into the house, Father God, that we can give them hope. Amen. Hallelujah.